reading from the seventh chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 2. Actually, we'll begin with verse 1. After Jesus had finished all His sayings in the hearing of the people, He entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word, and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed at Him. What was it that Jesus heard? It was an expression of faith free from artificial constraints. The centurion had submitted to be more vile, not caring what his peers or other people would think about him. He was exercising faith that was determined, that was vocal, and faith that was bold. His extraordinary confidence in the power of Jesus' words is an indication of a remarkable faith. Despite who he was, he acted based on who he believed Jesus to be. That, dear ones, is the essence of an impolite faith. A drawing near to Christ no matter what it costs you. No matter how foolish it makes you look. All based on who we believe Jesus to be. As some people would say, it's a faith that's not content with sitting on the sidelines and watching the game but being in the game. Now we've been hearing these sermons based about around having an impolite faith based on what Matthew Hartsfield has said. The Reverend Matthew Hartsfield wrote this, Most Christians maintain a very polite faith. We tend to cultivate a controlled and managed relationship with Jesus. We treat Jesus politely and we expect the same from Him. We're going to stay in our place and Jesus can stay in His place. We sing safe songs, pray safe prayers, and preach safe sermons. 
Our relationship with God is simply safe and polite, he says. Now, we didn't embark on this series that we're finishing today because I believe those words are true about us. We're doing this because I truly don't want us, you and me, to be the people that Hartsfield describes. People who have so little faith and are so concerned only about themselves that they're willing to sit on the sidelines and not be the church. We are called to be Christ's body in the world, to be His ambassadors, to be His people who stand against all kinds of oppression and things that if we stand against them can cause us humiliation and hurt. There's a reason that Jesus said to us, when they hate you, remember that they hated me first. People who are content with sitting on the sidelines, whose faith allows them not to respond in any kind of bold way to Jesus, those are the people that Jesus says in Revelation are lukewarm and that He will spit them out of His mouth. What I want for us is to be pleasing to Christ, not to be found to be lukewarm in something that Jesus would spit out of His presence. What I want for us is to be people of profound faith. People who aren't concerned with what others think of our faith. People who are willing to share it even when it's not cool or welcome. I'm praying that Adna will be filled with such a faith that our Lord will respond to us as He responded to that centurion, that He will be amazed at our faith. That our Lord will be pleased by our faith. That He will marvel over our faith. This centurion anticipates us. He represents all of us who believe in Jesus but can't see Him, who have never been in His direct, physical, seeing Him with our eyes present, but yet believe that He needs only speak the Word. And we are moved into His presence, a healing presence, a free presence. He represents us. And what can happen if we're willing to have a free faith that doesn't care what the other centurions in our legion think about us reaching out to a Jewish peasant for help. This man had been trained to be strong, but he chose to be weak and to ask Christ for help. He represents to us what it looks like to put our faith in one we can't see, to believe that Jesus need only speak a word and we can find freedom and wholeness. That is what it means to have a free faith. I want us to have the freedom of a faith that believes that our Lord is with us in all things and at all times. A faith that amazes Christ. To have an active, living faith. To have a faith that does instead of just talks. To have a faith that moves instead of sits. To have a faith that lives and loves and hopes for all that we can be in Christ. To be free to make a transformation in our world. To be free to threaten our world and all of its wickedness. That it might see us as an opposition to it. Instead of placating it. And going along so that we won't be bothered. The centurion had recognized that Jesus had authority. 
even the authority to simply speak healing. He had recognized that Jesus had so much authority that He could just say the word and His servant who lay dying in His house would be raised to help. He had recognized that Jesus was able to work out the boundaries of social and religious and political constraints and physical realities. He didn't even have to be in the room with His servant, He said, but only speak the word. He acted with a faith that was free from constraint because he saw in Jesus one who was able to free his servant from ministry, from misery. Excuse me, from ministry. Boy, that's going to sound bad, isn't it? (laughs) Lord, don't free us from ministry. (laughs) Free us from misery. His faith pleased Jesus. And his faith also set him free to be who he really was, a person who saw Christ as Lord, a person who saw Christ as one who was given authority greater than anyone else who had ever lived. Our faith in Jesus must be preceded by recognition of Jesus' authority, His position, His status as Lord and Savior. And if we desire to please Jesus, then it stands to reason that we would desire to be more free to exercise our faith in Him. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 6, tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. All of the good things we do will not please God unless we do them out of faith in Christ. Unless we do them because we believe we are equipped to do them because of who Jesus is. Without faith it is impossible to please God, he writes. For whoever would approach Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. This centurion's desire was to see his servant, who was precious to him, be healed of some malady that was threatening to kill him. So he abandoned the social constraints that otherwise would have kept him from Jesus. He was a commander of 100 Roman soldiers whose job was to keep their foot on the neck of Jesus' people. To keep them from rising up and overthrowing the Roman rule. He was commander of 100. He was part of a legion of 60 other centurions who were meant to hold him accountable to their job to be separate from these Jewish people. He was a leader in an occupying force. Social and political protocol would dictate that he would not stoop to asking one of them for help. But through the eyes of faith, he saw Jesus as one who also was set under authority. One who had the authority of God to bring healing and sickness and life out of death. He chose to ignore the artificial boundaries of social, political, and religious constraints and reach out to Jesus for help. He chose to be more vile, to risk humiliation before His peers and those who were under Him. He chose to be more determined, to call on Jesus no matter the cost to Him. He chose to be more vocal, to express to Jesus His true self. And His faith in Jesus' authority. 
He chose to be bold, to publicly send messengers to Jesus, to say, the Master says, all you have to do is speak, and my servant will be well. To do something that other people in his community, in his place, other people that he was accountable to would have considered foolish and stupid. And stand by his conviction that Jesus was the one who could do what needed to be done. That Jesus could deliver his servant from sickness and death that were beyond even human grasp. And apparently, Jesus was pleased with that. Matthew Hartsfield applies this centurion story to us in this way. He writes, Are you paying too much attention to the artificial boundary markers in your life? How willing are you to move outside your comfort zone in order to have a powerful Jesus encounter? This centurion was willing to look foolish in order to seek help from Jesus. He was willing to have his soldiers misunderstand He was willing to appear weak when he had spent his whole career training to be strong. He was supposed to be in command. Now he was willing to let someone else be in charge. The question is, dear ones, how willing are we we to allow Jesus to be in charge of our lives? To maybe lead us into a career or some way of life that we don't want. I speak to you from experiences. There was a time when I was not willing to be led into where I'm standing right now. And I did not have a faith free of constraint. I had a faith that was willing to sit on the sidelines. But I asked for a free faith. And Christ gave me the willingness to submit to Him. How willing are we to allow Jesus to have say over us? Why was the centurion willing to do that? Was it just because his slave was sick? Did he lament the thought of having to cook his own breakfast or clean his own house? Maybe that had something to do with it. But if Jesus had not been around, he likely would have called on some other person. But he didn't. He didn't call on some doctor or physician or local healer. He called on Jesus. And he called on Jesus because he saw in Jesus the authority to say that sickness and death would cease. That the sickness of his servant would end. We have to assume that this centurion did what he did because of what he had heard about Jesus. He did all the things that Hartsfield describes because of what he believed about Jesus. His belief about Jesus afforded him the freedom to ignore the boundaries that existed between Jesus and himself. And ignoring those boundaries pleased Christ. Dear ones, do we desire to please God? 
Do we desire to please the Father who has given us life? Do we desire to please the Son who has taken death from us to redeem us from slavery to it? Do we desire to please the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and is working in us to make us holy? As my confirmation class has said, He's the holifier. Isn't that awesome? The one who makes us holy. Are we willing to please our God? Are we willing to drop all of our selfish ambitions and selfish desires to simply live and be who God wants us to be? That is a question with eternal ramifications, not for us, but for somebody else who might not hear about Christ if we decide we're just going to do what we want to do. Are we content with just staying in our place and letting Jesus stay in His? If we desire to please God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may we consent to be more vile. To not worry about others looking down on us because of our faith. May God allow it to be so that it would please us when people call us Jesus freaks. May we consent to be more determined to live out our faith and share it with others. May we be more vocal and cry out for Jesus' help in all things, not relying on our own strength, but His. so that we can serve Him in a way that pleases Him. May we consent to be more bold, encouraged by our faith that Jesus has defeated the tyrannical despots of sin and death and left us no care or worry, but that we would proclaim His name in the world. so that we might not look at this life as all we have and feel that we waste it living how He would ask us to live. And having done so, dear ones, with the help of Christ, we will become more free to live in faith, acknowledging Jesus' authority as our Savior and our Lord, as our Master and our King, as the One who tells us who we will be, who we are, what we will be in the world to come. So that we might find holy rest through being freed for joyful obedience. True freedom is not being able to decide to do whatever you want to do. True freedom happens when we are joyfully obedient to Christ when we keep His commands to love God and love our neighbor in all that we do. 
Are we willing, dear ones, to submit to Christ's authority so that we might experience the true freedom of being obedient to Him in all things? Hartsfield says that the only question for us is whether we will surrender to Christ's authority and cooperate with it. We're encouraged by our culture to question authority. While this may be fine with our secular authorities, it will never move us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Do we desire to be in closer relationship with Jesus? Do we desire an impolite, intimate faith like the centurions that will take the risk of inviting Jesus into our lives to redeem us, to rescue us, and to restore us and renew us? Do we dare invite Jesus to come into our lives and change it? Or do we want to simply stay like we are in our place and Jesus stay in His place and settle for a distant relationship that is a shadow of what it could be and of terribly little consequence? Do we want a deeper relationship with Jesus? If so, dear ones, it begins in recognizing who He is. That He is God's only Son given that we might have life. To be our King, to be our Savior, to be our Master, to be our Lord, to be the lover of our souls, the one who gives us victory. It begins in recognizing that we need Him to free us. That we need Him to free our faith from the embarrassment that we are terrified of. We need Him to free our faith from our desire for stuff, for the things of this world. We need Him to free our faith so that our lips might speak and our hearts rejoice. So that we might truly be freed for joyful obedience. To follow Him wherever He would lead us. To be His people in every moment of our lives. Dear ones, may we be a people of impolite faith. A people unashamed of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.